Welcome to another episode of Socializing with Sisters. My name is Rochelle. And I'm Brianna. And today we actually came prepared. <laughs> Let's see. Our topic of the day is going to be imposter syndrome. So for those of you that don't know, uh, imposter syndrome, by definition, is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. Um, Many people that suffer from this question whether they're deserving of accolades that they receive. So, you know, when we had discussed this earlier as our topic, I started thinking more and more about it. And I was like, I wonder if this happens more in men or women or if there's a difference. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it disproportionately affects men or women. I know that I have had um, issues in the past doubting my abilities or that feeling that I was undeserving of certain things. Like, say, for instance, if I got a raise that was unsolicited, a salary raise at work. There have definitely been moments in the past where I may have felt undeserving of that raise that, oh, well, how are they giving me more money? Like, I don't even do what I, you know, I should do more, you know, it, all those types of feelings coming up when those types of things happen. So I'm not sure. Um, it said that in the definition that I found that it disproportionately affects people that typically are in higher jobs uh, as far as like managers, um, CEOs, people of that level that, that yeah. have a lot of achievements behind them. Um, I feel like it's something that definitely would disproportionately affect women though, because in my experience, uh, a lot of times I've seen other women doubt their capabilities in the workplace um, or even on social media, just doubt their capabilities as a mother, doubt their capabilities uh, as a partner, um, you know, feel like they're never good enough, doing enough that they should do better. So I would not doubt if, you know, just outside of like jobs specifically, that I wouldn't doubt if that women do suffer from imposter syndrome a lot more. You know, when you mentioned the mother thing, I, I thought of our mom immediately. I and I was just like, I don't know if she would ever admit to it or think that she actually has it, but she never takes a compliment without putting herself down. And yeah. Anytime I say that she's a good mother or, you know, that she's been a good mother, she goes, well, I don't know about that, but thank you. She always does. Yeah. It's every take. I maybe just in general, like taking a compliment women in general. I don't know if you've seen this, but I have like, anytime I compliment another woman, it almost always comes back with a, uh, well, thank you. But, and, and there's always a, but every single time. <laughs> Is it like is it like a social obligation to degrade yourself as you take the compliment? Yeah, it's like uh, I I've seen a lot of, and I'm not on TikTok, so I'm not. 
I see TikToks that are reposted on Instagram or YouTube where men have said, like, can you just take the damn, damn compliment? Like, I am trying to tell you that I think that you're amazing at whatever it is they're talking about, but you always have a negative comeback for it and that it's just frustrating to other people to that a person can't just take that compliment and without anything else, without saying anything, just being like, thank you. The the only reason I ever feel like I need to say anything afterwards is like, I've tried to take the compliment and say, Oh, thanks. And then there's that awkward pause. <laughs> I'm just oh, like, man. am I supposed to compliment you or like, uh... well, and see, I think that that's <laughs> the other thing is that, because um, that's fishing <laughs> I, you know what I this may be why I don't have a lot of women friends but I always feel like when a woman compliments me that they're fishing for a compliment back that could be I just like I'm not good with silence and so anytime there's an awkward pause I'm like oh man I just violated whatever social thing that we were supposed to do <laughs> adhere to yeah yeah I'm like damn it I did it again like <laughs> Yeah, no, because of that kind of stuff, like, um, I think that something that we no longer have a lot of in society or that's, like, missing, uh, you know, that horrible etiquette book that uh, great-grandma had for social situations, like, uh, people don't, they don't read stuff like that anymore. They don't hear just stuff like that anymore. There are no social normities anymore as far as like how, what you would assume is how to deal with a certain situation, like may not actually be how to deal with us or that the other person has like a different um, interpretation of how to deal with that situation. One great example is going from country to country. Social normities are totally different. They are not the same. I think that's what is uh, so unique about the u.s too is because like like so i'm married to an asian man and i'm i'm white i guess i mean mom always tries to say we're italian but we're pretty white um and it's a it's a total difference because like me i i'm completely uncomfortable with silence and uh like especially in a social situation like i don't think that silence belongs where there's supposed to be a social atmosphere mm-hmm. but he's from an asian family and they welcome pauses and silence during conversation and for me it's weird i think it has a lot to do with how our family interacts like it could coming. be the Italian heritage, like the talking and the, I don't <laughs> We talk over one another. We're very loud. Anytime that we ever go to a restaurant situation and there's more than, you know, four to six of us, it, they end up, I mean, take my wedding, for example, that was the, the, that the was dinner different. the night before. That there doesn't was, count. <laughs> there were so many of us in one room and. And it was so loud, like that okay, dinner the night that before. Is a, whatever the pre-wedding party is called. Uh, I don't know. Rehearsal dinner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That should have been in a private room. And the fact that we were in the middle of the restaurant was their fault. <laughs> that really was their fault. <laughs> like that had nothing to do. Like 
I mean, it's a rehearsal dinner. Like, there's going to be so many people. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think that was necessarily our our fault. But like, just to give anyone that's listening a backstory, people got up and left. Yeah, no, because they, we were so noisy. Because we were so loud, and I mean, I feel, Bad, I feel but... a little bad. But at the same time, like we had a great time, and like yeah. I mean, technically we should have been in a private room. Now I I feel worse for the men in our life because I know that I know Marshall was probably your, your husband was probably embarrassed. I know my husband was embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think our dad is beyond being embarrassed by us at this point. Yeah. Oh man, when we were kids. When we would go to a restaurant because you and me and mom were always so loud. We're very loud talkers and he would get embarrassed so easily. And I he's like the whole whole restaurant doesn't need to hear your conversation. Yeah. Whereas like, I guess, I don't know if you've ever had a problem with this. Like I, I am not bothered by that at all. If somebody else overhears my conversation, if I wanted my conversation to be private, I wouldn't be having it where I am. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a little more aware of it now. And that's just because I've been married to my husband for so many years. So I, I'm more aware of it. But back in those days, I could care less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I try to be a little more tactful. And I realize that other people are trying to have their dinner too. And they don't want to hear yeah. us. And that. There are other people with other cultures that don't want to be in, involved in what we're doing. And so I'm, I try to be a little more aware of that now. But like, even when I went to Italy for three months, like, people are loud, like they just are. And like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely a cultural thing. And so I just, it's hard to say like where the line should be drawn. Cause it's like, that's a part of the culture part of us and like I I do want to be accommodating to people but also it's no fun for me if I have to monitor myself 24 7 either agreed agreed yeah I I, what were you gonna say oh nothing I was just thinking wow we really got off topic real quick (laughs) we did we definitely did we definitely did yeah we can't we can't pick a topic that's no we really can't no it's not we'll we'll try it again another time but no you know what it's wherever the conversation leads um it's true it's true because I mean imposter syndrome like even when you were talking about it like if we really want to swing back to that uh you were like it's remotely it it adversely affects people that make more money that are in power positions like CEOs. And I was like, Oh, that's why I've never experienced it. (laughs) But, but at the same time, like in a discussion we had earlier, you said that you did relate to the feeling, just not necessarily that part. Yeah. Just, uh, I I relate to the feeling in like, am I, am I right for this? did they choose me correctly? Am I right for this position? I've yeah. never felt like I'm not deserving. I'm just like, I'm not sure that I'm right for this. And so maybe I'm not deserving, but never quite imposter syndrome where I feel like I don't deserve because usually by the end of whatever job I've worked, and this is my first high paying job where I would say that like, 
you know, I've even felt close to imposter syndrome, but usually by the end, I feel so overworked and so underappreciated that, uh, that feeling is long gone. (laughs) I'm just like, I am a slave. I need to move on. (laughs) Yeah, no, you, but you always stay in jobs well longer than I, than I ever have. Like your, your history, as far as staying in a job, your tenure or how whatever you want to say like is always a lot longer than than mine I typically only stay at a job for like two years and then I move on which is why I never ever ever seem to have any PTO (laughs) that makes sense but now in my current job I've been there almost three years I never had any PTO either. In my job, they were just like summers. You get summers. I worked for a school, for those of you that don't know. I I worked as a a librarian. I worked in the capacity as a librarian, but they only gave me the title as library media technician so that they could keep me undersalaried and underpaid. And for those of you that don't know, people like that at the school that are like aides to your kids, that are lunch ladies, those people are only making less than 30000 a year and they don't get paid during the summer. Yeah. So, so uh, so working there was not by working there as long as I did was not by choice. It was out of circumstance. I tried to apply to other places and it never seemed to work out. And so I got my master's degree and I landed the current job I have, which is like double, almost triple the money that I was making there. So, yeah, well, just out of curiosity, um, because we're on the subject. When it comes to employees that work at the school district that are not like, you know, licensed educators that aren't teachers, are they even allowed to join the teachers unions? No, they have their own union that doesn't do anything for them. That is lovely to know. Yeah, they're not allowed to be part of the teachers union. They have their own classified employees and that groups all the janitors, lunch ladies, um, I would say admin employees, uh, the secretary, uh, but the secretary makes okay money. Like, mm-hmm. like anybody that, uh, that works in the office makes good money. But if you, if you are like an assistant of any kind, or if you're a custodian or a grounds worker, actually, even the grounds worker guys made more money than I did. <laughs> Jeez. So it, it just depends. But like this, the school districts, yeah, they, they do there. And there's a split between those groups. Like if you go into like a lunchroom or a break room somewhere, the teachers, like, I, I mean, this, obviously each school district is unique and I can't speak for every school district, but in my experience in the two different school districts that I worked in, in Southern California, classified employees and certified employees are separated by salary, by status, by social. Wow. Um, and being the librarian, it was kind of a weird bridge between the gap because I worked with all of the teachers and so all of the teachers knew me and most of them liked me. I mean, obviously there's not everybody's going to jive together. So, you know, I had a few teachers that they couldn't say anything bad about my work, but our personalities weren't necessarily, you know, conducive to jive together. I think that we all get that in the workplace, though, that, like, you know, not everybody's going to get along with everybody else. There are definitely personalities that don't appreciate me (laughs) at my work. And so, and I I just, you know, 
I realize that they avoid me and that's fine. That's fine. I don't, it's nothing that bothers me. Like it's a, it's their issue, not mine. See, that's the opposite. I was avoiding them. (laughs) (laughs) But so, I mean, it wasn't so bad. Like it wasn't so bad that when they brought their class to my library, I was like dreading it. It's just like, I already know she's going to have a special ask. She's going to have a special this. I'm going to have to go out of my way for this. You know, or like I would take different routes to walk away around their classrooms because I knew if I walked by their door, they'd be like, hey, I have an IT question. It's like, that's great. Why don't you call the IT department that gets paid six figures to do that for you? (laughs) (laughs) Instead of asking the, you know, the the 20, I think I made like 26,000 a year. Yeah, the the 26,000 a year employee that uh, that gets all of the IT issues, but none of the pay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, uh, yeah, those positions are underappreciated. And so it's funny, like, I'm sure teachers, honestly, like, I know they say they don't make enough money. But those other roles aren't making diddly squat by comparison. But it's hard to listen to that when you make half of what they're making. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very hard to listen to something like that. You know, you're talking about, okay, and then the school also, the school's not open eight hours a day. And so those teacher aides, they only work like 30 hours a week. So now they're not even qualifying for full-time benefits. But you have to have these positions in order to support these students. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like you can't have those jobs. You have to have those jobs. But then you get high turnover because of the low pay and the low. So then you have new benefits. So then you have new people coming in every year. And it's honestly, it's bad for morale. It's, It's bad for the school district. And it's really mismanagement of funds because our superintendent was making $250,000 a year with benefits, a housing salary and a car salary, a car stipend. My God. And it's just like, Buy your own damn car. (laughs) I just like I I understand that you're managing an entire school district and we weren't even like the largest school district. So it's not a very large school district. I understand that you do a lot, you wear a lot of hats, but the fact that your salary is so disproportionate to some of the other people that work in your district, like there's an issue there. Yeah. Like you're telling me that in Southern California you couldn't live off a hundred and fifty thousand? Yeah. Like you really need that two fifty, the extra hundred, and then you know, plus all these stipends. Like you mean you can't afford your own house and your own car off of your two hundred and fifty thousand dollar salary? Probably because they're buried in debt. <laughs> I mean <laughs> they have I... to buy that one point five million dollar home. <laughs> But it's like even even the the medium cost, like where we were, like the school district was located. Yeah, it was a million dollar home. But I mean, it's it's still like you just you don't actually need that high of a salary in order to sustain yourself. Like it's, you know, anything after one hundred and fifty thousand is just gluttony. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I you know, or maybe some responsibilities need to be shifted if that's the case where you really you're working. I mean, how many hours a week are you really working? I see you wandering around my school, you know, 
talking with my principal, not really, you know, I don't know what you guys are brainstorming walking around the school or not, whatnot, but mm-hmm. like, I'm just imagining, like, like, I just can't imagine that you would need that much and that you can't hire full-time librarians. Yeah. Like, really? You, you mean you can't put, you know, hire, what was it? There was like seven elementary schools. You can't hire all those ladies on full-time, give them full-time benefits. Yeah. You don't need... You wouldn't sense. even have you wouldn't even have to give them that high of a salary. You're only paying them twenty six a year. So what if you pay them forty six? That really isn't that much more. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Anyway, but that's my my deal with the school district. Like, I mean, I totally support teachers. I agree that you're doing an important job, but when you're making over fifty thousand, you know, a year and like you're the person that's helping you and the lunch lady is only making twenty six, you know, I just can't listen to you bitch about your low salary. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're truly unhappy with that, then, you know, find another school district that's willing to pay you more or, you know, change states. I don't know. That's what a lot of people do um, is that they'll go work in other areas. One thing that I had seen a documentary on more recently was uh, the disproportionate uh, situation with teachers in city versus rural communities um rural communities don't seem to be able to get teachers uh for the most part and it's primarily because of what they can pay and um they can't get young people to move out there because there's nothing there whereas before young families we're moving because by the time you graduated from college back in the day, you were already married, you know, and you were getting ready to start a family. So you were more willing to work, move to a rural community. Nowadays, you know, people are staying single up until their, you know, mid thirties before they finally settle down and they don't want to move out to a rural community by that point because they're ensconced in the city. Yeah, yeah, there's something to be said about that. There's also a lot of uh, issues with uh, with schools disproportionately not getting funded enough because uh, low yeah. test scores and, uh, yeah. you know, and it only affects their community further. And like, there's a lot of different things where teachers are getting the short end of the stick. But I'm talking about this rich white community that I worked in that no, the te- where the teachers were making like, I think the one of the kindergarten teachers, she recently retired. She was making over 80 grand a year yeah. teaching kindergarten. I'm just, you know, and they're complaining about COVID. We didn't sign up for this. And it's like, I, I get that. But you are getting paid such substantial money that you got to be flexible. Whereas, like, if you're a teacher out there and you were working during COVID and you're only making like 45 a year, I get it. I would I would probably complain a little bit more, too. But it's just, you know, like they're. There's, you know, and I, I think I got burnt out on listening to teachers, bitch, because of the job that I was in. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I get it. Yeah. Just like, it's- I don't, I don't want to hear you complain. I, I do all kinds of stuff for you all the time. I'm handling, you know, a very large workload and I'm making way, way less than you. So I, I can't, I can't talk to you. <laughs> yeah. I think that like, you know, because of, um, so, cause not everybody knows, I work in um, healthcare uh, IT. So basically, um, I work at a company where we provide an EHR, uh, electronic health record, to uh, you know 
organizations that can't afford it on their own um, that are not currently hospitals. So anything that would be like a uh, community health center or, you know, small rural health centers. We have some really big health centers as well. Um, but basically they don't have the patient count that a hospital does that would dictate the, the amount of cost to be able to get into this electronic health record company um, software. So uh, because of that, I always, when I look through that lens at some of the things, you know, like that you're saying about education, I always think about those people that are in rural communities. And what I think that a lot of people don't understand or don't realize is, is that the majority of the poor people in America live in rural communities. And because of we've seen it growing up, we lived in a rural community um, and, and there were a lot of poor people. The school that we went to, um, if you look at test scores and its rating at this point is really bad. Um, cool. You know, I, hmm. I, I can't attest to their test scores, but what I can say is that I had to take an extra year of community college where I had to catch up on basic math and English because of the school we came from. Yeah, see, and, and I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, because they allow, you know, and this is just my personal perspective, because they allow test scores to dictate who gets funding those schools that are actually struggling to better their students' situations never get the funds that they actually need in order to bring them up to the level of everyone else. So they're basically punishing them for having low test scores and there's, they're providing them no way to, to get out of it. It's basically, you know, just a merry-go-round worth of bullshit. I it mean, keeps circling. Honestly, they should base uh, funding off of population size, kind of the way they do with other funds. Yeah, and that's not what they do right now. Because I already know that uh, Los Angeles County, uh, their, uh, or is it, is it county school, LA County School or LA City School? I can't remember. But they would receive a lot more funding, I'm sure, if they did it off of population because they have the largest, one of the largest student populations. Hmm. Yeah, and yet they, I, I don't think they receive the the same amount of funds. And then there's also so rule. Uh, I I don't know if there's an argument that most poor people are in rural communities because I've lived in some cities where there's some really poor people, and I I don't know if the population size is smaller or bigger. It's hard to say, but there are poor people everywhere, and rural communities definitely like have you know a lot of poor people. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh, um, where was I going with that? I don't That's, know. But the uh, the funding as far as for different schools, um, yeah, it shouldn't be based off of test scores. I, I do believe that people are getting the short end of the stick. Like, obviously, if their test scores are low, that means they need increased funding. Like, yeah. that's kind of like the, the same argument for the police departments. Oh, they're screwing up, so we need to take away their funding. And I know, like, if... If anybody out there is listening to this, I know we're totally going to get bashed for this, or I am. (laughs) But if your police department isn't succeeding, that means they need more funding, more training, you know, uh, more incentive for these guys to do a, you know, a good job and decreasing their morale. We're already seeing the repercussions of 
of that around the nation. Like, yeah. look at all the crime rise in each and every city. Look at the the homicides, the gun violence. And, you know, you can say that, oh, you know, we need to have better gun control. But the fact is, is that we have the same gun control that we had yesterday, you know, but we had police morale and police, you know, willing to do the jobs. And now we don't. Yeah, because, and, you know, and I probably will also get bashed for this, but I watched a video yesterday that was talking about the, um, I think it was like a CSNBC uh, video that they have on their YouTube channel uh, talking about the rise in uh, background checks for the purchase of firearms and that it's at an all-time skyrocketed high. It's higher right now than it ever was last year. Um, that more people are purchasing guns this year than they've ever seen in the past. There's ammo shortages at this point. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there was rioting last summer. There was, uh, there are, you know, currently uh, still, you know, writings that happen this year. A lot of people are seeing that increase in crime. And so people are starting to protect themselves and they've stopped calling the cops because they know it doesn't matter. And a lot of these communities... Like, or or people have are fear-mongering and have them scared of the police now. Yeah, that too. I've seen a lot of, of, of that um, when looking at a lot of videos that people are like, well, why would I call the police? Because I've been told that the police aren't going to help me. Uh, now I have my own gun and I'm going to take care of it myself. Yeah, and so, vigilantism is never, is never a good idea. Yeah, never a good idea. And so that's what you're going to start to see. Um, if you if if they haven't already started reporting on that kind of stuff, you're going to start seeing people, uh, news news stations reporting on vigilantism in, in America at this point, because it's it's getting crazy. I've never it, seen it our just, country so torn apart. I mean, it just makes me so sad that people are willing to sensationalize so many things to make a buck and to mm-hmm. destroy, you know, this beautiful democracy that we created. And I know that it has its flaws, but like we're mm-hmm. the only country that has successfully incorporated so many different cultures and able mm-hmm. to, you know, thrive. Like think about all the other countries that where religion continues to divide them for like hundreds of thousands of years. You know, you think about other countries where there's been genocide because of the fact that they don't know how to deal with different cultures clashing like. Yeah. And, you know, maybe some of that is a little bit of young naivety, but I think that we've done it fairly successfully. I don't think that we should, you know, throw it all away, throw it all away because the because the system is flawed. It's yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to fix the problems and it takes a while and you have to keep working at it. It's like any relationship. It's never perfect, but it's growing pains. But as long as you keep working at it, it'll be successful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree that, you know, we shouldn't throw all of what has transpired away. We need to recognize that things have happened in our culture and in our history, which I felt like growing up that we did a lot of. I learned about a lot of different things that they're not even teaching in history classes nowadays or in government classes, things like that, that I think are very important for us to learn and for people to understand. Um, But at the same time, recognize that 
this country has done a lot of really good things and that, you know, there are, there are things that need to be changed, things that we can all recognize need to be changed and then change them. Um, I, just, know, I think, I think at this point, it's kind of like, you know, two different groups that disagree with one another on how to do the change. And so nothing's getting done. Well, and a lot of that is due to not wanting to compromise and in a relationship, you be right. And and you know what? Is it more important to be right than to stay together? Exactly. That one. Like, you know, you have to, I ask myself that in my marriage and I think that this country, it's kind of a marriage. Like, you know, like, is it more important for you to be right? Or is it more important for you guys to stay together? I think that it's more important to stay together than to be right. And, you know, somebody might disagree with that, but I just, I, you know, and what I would say to them is, is that, you know, you need to do some soul searching. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, coming from our generation where, you know, the majority of us never get married, um, and or end up divorced. At this well, point. we don't know that yet. We're still too young. Like I, I don't know. I know several people that have already been divorced and remarried at this point. I know you do as well. I so. do know a lot of people that have already been married and divorced at least once or twice. <laughs> I know a singular person that has done it four times at this point. So yeah, we're not we, talking about that though. It's <laughs> you know that's yeah that's true. We're definitely not talking about that, but. <laughs> I, I do think that we we do need to find ways to bridge gaps. And I, I, I do think that there will always be some hurt feelings that we have to discuss in order to move on. And that'll be, you know, and people just have to get comfortable with, you know, having to have these conversations. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are talking about racism and slavery. And, yeah, that's going to take a long time to get over. Um you know, as, as we see right now, it's, you know, people aren't over it. And, uh, you know, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a topic for another day. I think that's, you know, I I don't even know if I want to cross that topic ever again. Neither do I. I think that's as close as I ever want to get to that topic. (laughs) And that's just because like, I, I can already hear it. Two white girls think they know, like, I I don't even know. I don't know what people would say, but I just, I already know it'd be bad. (laughs) I mean, I will, I will preface this, this with the fact that both you and I are married to minorities. So there is that. We do have an understanding, but obviously we do not know, but we have an understanding from our spouse's perspective as, as to that kind of stuff happening. It's true. Yeah. I I have, I've never personally experienced every aspect of it, but I do know people that have, and you know, we can relate and have good conversations. And I figure if I can do that with my friends, I don't see why other people can't do that. You know, exactly. in part, you know, in like, you know, in Congress, I don't, I don't see why they, if it's not hard for everyday people to have these discussions, how come they're not able to have these discussions and, and really get shit done? I don't know why the song, why can't we be friends came to mind, but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that that is, is totally indicative of, of what is happening right now is like, 
why can't we all just be friends like and treat each other like people so well let's let's go ahead and leave it on that note we definitely got way the hell off topic I don't um, think we should choose topics. I think it's just like whatever comes up where you are socializing with sisters for sure. Because when you are a sister, you never stay on one on topic. topic. No, definitely not. So I think uh, next time we'll just get together and, you know, come as we may and whatever thoughts that we have that day, we'll just let it spill out. You know, my only disappointing part about doing this podcast is that you're not here with me to smell my armpits. They smell... <laughs> They smell so ripe right now. It's 85 degrees in my apartment. We don't have AC and the fans are on full blast and I am smelling so ripe and I just know I could torture you right now. Like, like when I say stink, I mean like, I mean like exercise stink and I didn't exercise. Just put your arm around me and just kind of waft it towards my face. Man, I wish you were here. It's so good. I'm enjoying it by myself. That's hilarious. Well, lucky for me, that's never my experience. Even if it was 85 degrees in my house, you still wouldn't smell me. <laughs> you know, you you smell like a rose. You got that good genetics. I got the, the stinky armpit gene. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that could be a topic for another episode about um, that research that I did about that. So, yeah. Oh, about genetics? About uh, stench genetics. Well, I want to know all about that and how to get rid of it. <laughs> well, it's genetic, so there is no getting rid of it. And I know people are going to, like, if anyone is actually listening, they're going to comment. They're going to be like, oh, use this deodorant. I have tried no. them all. Yeah. I have tried them all. <laughs> it doesn't no. Work. no, in all honesty, that's the thing that I think is very misleading is that they're always like, oh, cover it up with this deodorant. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you're the way you smell without deodorant is a genetic thing that you'll never be able to fix and you have to just accept it unfortunately so i've accepted it i just you know not everybody around me is is willing to accept (laughs) i accept it it's fine it's the deal it's it's it is what it is like it doesn't bother me i just you go through more t-shirts than i do oh god for sure Okay, well, that'll, I guess that'll be our next topic. This has been Socializing with Sisters. I'm Brianna. And I'm Rochelle. All right, bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.